Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in Scripture and our lives. I am Adam Erickson, writer at The Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. And I'm Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for The Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. This is episode 36. For the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, we will be exploring Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses which obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the new revised standard version of the Bible and use the common lectionary. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm doing fine. School has ended. I mean, of course, my kids have been home doing homeschool, so it hasn't been like this big transition. But now that school has ended, uh, what do the kids do? It's like summer. What do we do every summer? We just hang out. And now we Mm -hmm. can't like really go places. So what are we going to do this summer? I don't know. It's such a strange, strange summer. It's a Um, weird weird time, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So just trying to figure that out. And um, yeah, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing all right. Although school is out for the summer, we have some summer school activities going on, but all virtual. But I still feel beholden to setting them up for the kids and with one of them being around in particular. So it really doesn't feel like summer, except when I go outside and it's beautiful outside. Thank goodness. Thank God for beautiful summer weather. It really is just absolutely gorgeous. Not too hot. Wonderful. Praise Jesus. I'm happy. Yes, that is a wonderful thing. So uh, let's get into our passage. It's about sowing seeds. I'm not a farmer, so I don't know how much I can get out of this, (laughs) but we will see what we can find. This is the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. And this is like really the beginning of Jesus talking in parables to his listeners and parables, just to set this up a little bit, the word parable means to cast or to throw side by side. And one of the interesting things about these parables is that they're kind of stories or metaphors that Jesus gives. And they're two ways of life, the kingdom way of life or the realm of God way of life that Jesus is trying to offer us and also the way of the world. Um, And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, here's this story and you struggle with it to try to figure it out. And some parables, Jesus explains them, and some parables he just leaves open. Uh, This parable is one that Jesus explains, but there's a lot of it to mine. And so with that set up about what the word parable means, I invite you to listen to this parable from Jesus. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. 
Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where there did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but only endures for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yield, in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another thirty. So, Lindsay, there are a couple of things about this parable that I find really interesting. Uh, it is the parable of the sower is the title that's given at the beginning part of it. And then the second part of it, where Jesus explains the parable of the sower, is about how people respond to the seeds that the sower sows. But I think the headline, at least in my Bible, is the most important part of this. Uh, sometimes the Bible, the uh, translators or the uh, interpreters that put the Bible together get the headline just right. And sometimes <laughs> I think that they struggle a little bit, but this, I think they get just right because the emphasis is on the sower who is God and the sower in this story just throws seeds around generously, almost wastefully. The sower, I would guess as a farmer a farmer would not want to just sow seeds wherever, but would want to make a plan of where the best place is to sow these seeds, where it would produce the most yield. But the sower in this story just kind of throws it everywhere and lets the seeds and the environment do what it will. There's like a generosity of where this just throwing these seeds out wherever they will. Mm. Yeah, this is really a parable about the absolute generosity and love and reckless abandon of God. I did not see it that way as a child, though. And as you were saying in the beginning that 
there are two, or actually there are way more than two, but there's sort of a binary dimension to how people perceive the kingdom. There's there's a worldview that's imperial and all-powerful, and then there's the reading from below, the reading from the perspective of the vulnerable. So there are different ways to look at the kingdom of God, and there are different ways to interpret these parables. And so when I was a child, I interpreted this parable through a fearful lens. And I have to emphasize that that really wasn't the fault of my church. The larger American culture in particular is very imperialistic, might is right, and blessed are the wealthy and good are those who are in power. And I think that that is created by and perpetuates a very imperialistic interpretation. And as a child, I thought the sower was God, but I thought the seeds were the people themselves. God creates people and scatters people as God will. And some people fall into terrible circumstances and then the devil gets them. And some people fall on rocky soil and they can't take root in the world. And some people fall among the thorns and the cares of the world choke them. And I I really didn't understand that the seed wasn't the people at all. It was God's love. God's love is scattered everywhere. (laughs) God's love goes into the harshest places and God's love goes places where we wouldn't expect it to yield anything at all. And God's love goes into the scorching sands of the desert. And God's love goes into the broken cracked earth that doesn't yield any fruit. And God's love goes to the depths of the ocean and it goes everywhere. That's a totally different reading of the parable, and it's one that I unfortunately couldn't grasp when I was young, and it makes a world of difference what lens you're using. Yes, absolutely. And oftentimes uh, we come to these parables, I love the way that you put it, that the seeds are God's love, and Jesus is the sower, God is the sower. The seeds are Jesus's teachings. And I think one of the things that's so important about interpreting parables in particular is interpret them in light of Jesus's teachings. And Jesus is always teaching about the radical love of God that you're talking about. So when Jesus says, live your life as, and he quotes Hosea and says, God desires mercy and not sacrifice read these parables through the lens of mercy or God's steadfast love, not through the human desire for sacrifice. And ultimately, parables should be read in light of the great parable, (laughs) which (laughs) is the cross. The cross is like the great parable, and the cross is where you see God's ultimate love and forgiveness through Jesus, because it's humans who put Jesus up on the cross, not God in the Gospels. It's clearly humans who are doing this. And Jesus, the representative of God, responds with forgiveness, responds with this radical love that you're talking about. 
So for me, that's the lens through which to read a lot of these parables that are often much more difficult than this one, <laughs> because there are two ways of, as you say, there's, there are two multiple ways of interpreting them. One is through the imperialistic violent lens that you're talking about, and the other is through the lens of Jesus and his teachings and God's love for us. So I love the way that you put it there. The other thing that is interesting about this parable is when Jesus interprets the seeds that are sown on rocky ground, it takes root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. I think it's important to remember the disciples as they're hearing this and as the story continues, because what happens to the disciples as they begin to experience persecution? They get scared at first. They get scared and they immediately fall away, right? Yeah. They, they abandon Jesus. They abandon the whole project. And yet Jesus comes back to the disciples who you could interpret were sown on rocky soil mm-hmm. because they fell away. But Jesus comes back to them and he waters them. He's the Mm -hmm. gardener who comes back and waters them and says, yeah, you may have been sown on rocky soil, but I still believe in you. I'm still going to come back and provide you water because that's what God's love does. Yeah. It always comes back. No matter what kind of soil you may be on, uh, God's love is the seed that comes back to you and replants over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely a beautiful message. It can be so dangerous to hear this parable through the lens of empire and the lens of the might makes right world that we still live in, that's being transformed, but it's still there, the might makes right perspective. So that when I was a child and sort of had a super... Uh, a superficial understanding of Calvinism because I was raised in the Presbyterian church and Calvin was a pretty big name. And you know, my interpretation of predestination was that God just knows everything from the beginning and gives us all our circumstances. And sometimes those circumstances are horrible and we're damned from the beginning And interpreting it through that lens, I want to say that that's a superficial perspective on Calvinism, but I really can't give you a better one right now because I've kind of turned away from that lens altogether. So my understanding was we are seeds, we fall where we will, and some of us will take root and blossom and others won't, and that's the will of God. And that's just a very capricious reading of it. And when you get down to it, it's a very hopeless reading because it kind of implies that there's not much you can do if you're in rocky soil or in the thorns. But it's also dangerous to think, well, there's something we can do. And what we can do is clean up our environment. So if we're looking at it through this kind of lens where we're not seeing the generosity of God and we're seeing a fearful God that some of us will bloom and some of us won't. And, 
you know, that's just the way it is. And we're trying so hard to get into God's good graces. We could say, well, let's clean up our environment. Let's clean out the thorns. Let's clean out the rocks. And that can translate so easily into people that we think are dangerous, you know, and we can say, let's hang out with the right crowd and start excluding those who would pollute us. And that's how you get into ideas of purity that marginalize people. And it's really the exact opposite of what Jesus actually did, you know, because he went to the marginalized. He went to the people who were considered damned. He went to the people who were considered condemned or being punished already for their sin. He went to the blind when blindness was considered a punishment, even by his own disciples. He went to the lepers who were literally the untouchables and embraced them to heal them. And so it makes all the difference in the world when you look at it through the lens that we're not the seeds. The sower sows the word. That That's actually in Mark, I think, that it very explicitly says the sower sows the word. And it's unfortunate that we leave it out of this lectionary and that it's not as clearly stated in Matthew because that's so important. The sower sows the word. And what is the word? It's not really the scriptures or the teachings. It's Jesus himself. So this is saying Jesus is going to those rocky, thorny, difficult places. And we don't really know what those places are because that's a metaphor. It's the human heart that Jesus is going to. And we can't tell from the outside how ready the soil is for God. And um, we can't make those judgments. We can't become exclusive. And we can't try to clean up our environments by doing the very opposite of what Jesus would do. So it makes a world of difference how we interpret this. Yeah, it's interesting that Jesus does not say, oh yeah, there were some sown amongst the thorns and what you need to do is get rid of the thorns. So go in there and hack them out. Right. Jesus doesn't say uproot the thorns. He does say that the seed that what was sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. So we can strive not to be lured by wealth, but that's very different from, you know, the saying, eat the rich or going after rich people as if they're, as if they're bad or going after anyone as if they're bad. Jesus doesn't tell us to do that. Well, he doesn't tell us to do anything in this. He plants love in our hearts and it grows as it will. And it doesn't always yield. But when it does, when the love of God bears fruit, then that fruit can spread all over the world. That fruit can go anywhere. The love of God sown in the good soil, and we don't know what the good soil is, or we can't see it from the outside, but that can go and help the soil in the other places. I mean, God sows love in our hearts and it yields a real difference in the world. Even though it's sown within, it can yield real change without. That's the way the world is designed to work through the creative love that is within all of us that God awakens. Yes, that's a super helpful frame for me 
because one of the traps of parables in particular and parables in general <laughs> as well is that you tend to get it's easy to fall into the moralistic trap of trying to decide well who's the good seed and who's the bad seed and of course I always think that I'm going to be the good seed, right? And so then I get into this kind of comparison that mimetic theory warns us about, where I see myself as always the good one. And that means that I have to compare myself against others who are the bad seed, right? But the frame that you are giving us is totally reframes it in a way that says, it's not about you being the seed or them being the seed. It's about God's love that is extravagantly sown throughout all of our hearts. And what are we going to do with that love? Are we going mm-hmm. to accept it and be non-judgmental about what other people do with the seed? <laughs> because mm-hmm. once we start judging what other people are doing with the seed, then we start getting on rocky ground ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. then this starts impacting us in a way that Jesus warns us previously in Matthew with his teachings where he says, judge not lest ye be judged, right? And who's the judge? Well, you are. You're the judge. And as much as you judge others, the seeds that God is sowing into other people, you become more and more judgmental towards others and to yourself, which mm-hmm. does not help the love, the, the seeds of love that God is trying to plant in the world. Exactly. You know, when I was a child, as I've said, this parable would scare me. Once when I was teaching this to Sunday school students, including my daughter, I noticed that my daughter, I think she was starting to interpret it the way I had interpreted it as a child. And she got a very scared look on her face because I think she was hearing the words of Jesus and interpreting them much the same way I did, that some people will be choked out by thorns and some people will fall on rocky ground and and uh, some people just won't produce fruit. And I could tell just as we were reading just the gospel and not even interpreting it, that she was getting very sad for what she perceived as people who would be condemned because they're the wrong kind of soil for the seeds or they're the seeds falling into the wrong kind of soil or whatnot. And I tried to explain as best I understood this, and I didn't even understand it quite the way I understand it now. But by the end of the lesson, she said, Mom, the whole point of this is for the seeds that land in the good soil to help the seeds that land in the bad soil so that we all grow together, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just so proud of her. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't have put it that simply and that beautifully. And again, what is sown is the word, not the seeds themselves. The seeds are the word, not the people. So I think that needs to be very clear. But the way my daughter just interpreted it, yes, the whole point is for us to receive the love of God and help those for whom it's harder to receive that love. And the way to do that is with gentleness and patience and a whole lot of humility 
because what we perceive is not necessarily the case. We may think people really need God's love, and, and we do. We absolutely do. But some people may feel it and already have it much more than we can tell just from the outset. And so the point is just be recklessly generous with our own love as well, and not just in quantity, but in quality. Be exceedingly compassionate and exceedingly humble. I was just so proud of my daughter that day and so glad that the things that had scared me and that looked like they were scaring her too were quickly interpreted in a way so that the fear didn't take over and the love in her heart took over instead for her to come to that conclusion. I was so proud. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It just helps me hearing that story because it's the whole point of this Christian spirituality is to be like God. Jesus came not to die, like a lot of Christians say, but to Jesus came to catch us up into the life of God, into the realm of God. And what is the realm of God like? Be like the sower. Mm-hmm. who sows, as your daughter beautifully says, who loves generously. And, you know, when Jesus teaches that the whole point of this is to love God, well, how do you love God? You love God by loving your neighbor, by lifting up those who may be on rocky soil for whatever reason, by helping one another as we care for one another, as your daughter beautifully put it. Mm-hmm. That is really the only way we can love God is to love the flesh and blood human beings and the animals and all of creation to love what is what is physically present that is really the only way to think we need to detach ourselves from any of that is to not see the power of the incarnation where god became human and a living part of this world to teach us that our whole lives our bodies as well as our hearts as well as our souls and spirits need to be involved in the work And the joy of love. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We cannot love God without loving our neighbors and our enemies and everyone. Absolutely. Amen to that. So friends, thank you for listening to this episode of Jesus Unmasked. I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. And that is all for this episode. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to our editor, Rhea Dickerson. Check out Rhea's work at depthsofechoes.com. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies because Jesus calls us to love them too.